Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hillbilly Horror Stories. Coming down in three, two, and one. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to another edition of Strange Planet. From time to time, I like to feature other podcasters on this program. And uh, we're going to do that tonight. Hillbilly Horror Stories features a husband and wife duo, professional comedian, Jerry Pauly and his charming wife, Tracy Pauly, sharing paranormal tales from around the globe. So how does a comedian transition to podcasting? Well, Jerry has been fascinated with the paranormal since he was a young child living in a haunted house in Fairdale, Kentucky. His comedic inclinations found a home in Hillbilly Horror Stories, where Jerry and Tracy spin tales with humor and compassion about haunted history, poltergeists, and everything in between. The show also includes special guest interviews with authors, mediums, and people who have personal experience with the paranormal, including Andrea Perrin, and we'll talk a little bit later about Andrea Perrin, time permitting. Jerry, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me on. This is a big thrill for me. Oh, likewise. Great to have you on. Tell me about the, uh, I mean, the success of uh, your podcast. Was it si in, in six years, you were reached 20 million unique downloads? Correct. That's so, impressive. It's funny. At the, I was just looking at Facebook memories. And uh, as the day that we're recording this, I had posted six years ago where we hit 20,000 downloads. So it's a, it's amazing to think that, uh, you know, that's more success than we ever thought we would achieve. And uh, to think that that six years later, we're at 20 million, it's just, uh, it's mind blowing, but it's a credit to our listeners 
how they've spread the word and how loyal they've been over the last six, six and a half years. All right. So tell me about growing up in a, ha a haunted house in Fairdale, Kentucky. Well, I would say, you know, I say growing up, but technically it was from the ages of 13 to 18. We moved into a house and Fairdale, for those uh, unfamiliar with the area, is a suburb of Louisville. So uh, not uh, I grew up probably 10 minutes from Waverly Hills Sanatorium. So, uh, you know, it's all in the area. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we move into that house when we were, I was, uh, like I said, about 13 years old. Nothing happened the first year. Uh, but then my mother had a death in the family. It was her her grandfather, and he was more of a father figure to her because of, uh, you know, her mom was kind of an absent mom or father the same way. So her her grandparents were her parents. And when he passed away, it threw her in a deep uh, state of depression. And, you know, back in the early 80s, people didn't look at depression the same way. You know, it was just, you know, you'll get over it or and get up and move around. You'll be fine. And, and it was, just, you know, different aspects. So I really didn't even know that it was depression until years later, once it was, you know, kind of uh, given a little more mainstream uh, clarity. But one night after this happened, we were sitting in our living room. I'm uh, basically sitting on a, a chair across the room from a television set. It's one of those big 17,000 pound console TVs like everybody used to have. Yep. And uh, my mother is sitting beside me on a couch. She's on a prayer line. It's one of these 700 club prayer lines. And uh, she's just talking to them about, you know, what's going on in her life. And she just really wants to to feel better about things. And at the time she's doing this, there was a, a, a pin cushion, a sewing pin cushion that sat on top of this chair. I mean, I sat on top of this uh, console television and it's it was in the shape of a chair and you it would hold all of your sewing stuff on the inside. And like I said, it was a pin cushion on the outside. This thing had our three house numbers, metal house numbers from outside where we just got through doing some painting, sitting on top of it and a, a bottle of Elmer's glue. So it was weighted down pretty well. And I say that's how well I remember it. You know, as she's on the line with this, this prayer service, that thing pops up in the air about two feet and lands in the middle of the floor. We both just look at each other as if to say, did you just see that? And uh, as that happens, she tells them on the prayer line that, look, I really need to go. And she just kind of abruptly hangs up and you know, we don't really talk too much about it. We just get up and start picking up the the pieces to everything that's scattered. But I, I, when I'm telling you, it landed literally five feet away from the television. It didn't fall over. Right. It it popped up in the air and landed in the middle. And that was the first thing that we ever noticed in the house. But from that point on, it was constant things for five years. It wasn't wasn't anything major. I mean, nothing that was really scary. I mean, it's scary at first. Anytime you have those things happen, but you know, there was noises up in the attic uh, of furniture scooting around, and we don't have one of those kind of attics. I mean, it's a couple of boxes with some Christmas stuff, but there was no way to walk around. There's some rafters up there, but you would still hear that unmistakable sound of heavy wood dresser or something on a wooden floor. There's That just makes a screech sound that's unlike anything other. And we would hear that. We would hear whispering in a ductwork, uh, so much to the point that I went out babysitting and cutting grass to get a, uh, a stereo from Kmart to put right beside my bed just so I could turn it on when noises would start. But it was that kind of stuff over the course of about five years. And then it just kind of really slowed down after that. Wow. Um, and did you do any investigation into the house, the history of the house to, to see 
who might be responsible for this haunting? We didn't really, you know, have the access like today. You've got the internet. This was the early '80s, and uh, unless you were NASA, I don't guess you had access to the internet. And <laughs> or Al you Gore. know, so yeah, so we didn't we didn't go down and 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 you know research the deeds or anything like that. We did invite uh, a group of paranormal investigators in from the University of Louisville. That was part of what they did. And they came in and sat, and they didn't want to know anything that was going on in the house, so we didn't share that information with them. And a lot of, uh, you know, after after sitting with us for about three or four hours and, and you know, kind of doing, it was almost like a little mini seance. It wouldn't, like you see a lot of the paranormal investigators on television do today. They We all sat down in the floor in one of the bedrooms and lit a candle. And, you know, so it was almost more that kind of uh, vibe going on. But when it was all said and done, they seemed to think, that back in the pioneer days before this house was even there mm-hmm. on that property, apparently used to be a log cabin or something. And to their understanding, the, uh, the man who owned the, the property, his daughter became pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, he was so disgusted by the shame she brought on the family that when the baby was born, he had killed her, the baby and the man responsible, and they were all buried right there on the property. Wow! And one of the things we would hear on a regular basis was a baby crying with with you know the old, the youngest child in the house was like ten years old at the time, so there shouldn't have been any baby noises. So, and we didn't tell them about that, obviously, but they picked up on that themselves, and you know, so they picked up on some code spots. Uh, this room here is an issue. That room's an issue, and those are the rooms we were having the most problems out of. So. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how much validity I give anything they were saying, but they at least were a little warm on some, uh, some, uh, some activity that we were having without knowing any of it going into it. And for you personally, was that after that, uh, that haunting kind of, I don't know, dissipated or or stopped? Was that the end of of your paranormal ex- personal experiences, or did it continue on in in other houses, or what happened? No, for me, I've had, I've had things happen. I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure it all classifies as paranormal, but it's almost more like uh, an ESPN or ESPN, listen to me, an ESP or a, uh, um, almost like a medium psychic type ability. I think what's happened, you know, I'll go back to uh, about just 10 years ago, this past September, I had a really good friend of mine. And uh, he passed away in a car accident. Our birthdays were one day apart. As a matter of fact, I started Hillbilly Horror Stories on his birthday as a tribute to him. Uh, so August 21st is when we did that. But our birthdays were a day apart. Our daughter's birthdays were a day apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, the night that he passed away, my wife and I were actually getting ready to go uh, on a trip to Nashville, Tennessee. It was about three and a half hour drive, so we were going to get up early. We went to bed fairly early. It was around nine o'clock, and we slept in a, uh, we had a whole basement area of our house that was a bedroom and a family room, and uh, that's where our bedroom was because it was the biggest area. And in our family room, I had a really nice surround sound system. I mean, this thing was killer bass and would just blow the doors off anything. It was like being at a movie theater. And, you know, we always kept whatever last movie we played, DVD play, uh, DVD that we played. We just left on there and, you know, we turned it off. No big deal. Well, that night at about one o'clock in the morning, 
in the next room, that thing just turns on and starts blaring whatever that beginning music to the DVD that was in there. Obviously, we wake up because, I mean, it was jaw-dropping. We wake up. There's nobody else in the house. I go in the other room. I can't get the uh, DVD player to turn off, so I unplug it. And then the next morning before we left, I tried to plug it back in and get it to work, and it never would work again. So that surround sound was shot. Well, we fast forward. That was a Saturday morning. We leave Sunday. We're getting ready to actually do a couple more things. Then we're going to head back. And I get a call from my best friend, which was his brother. And he, you know, he tells me as we're sitting, uh, sitting in a line to, to do a boat ride up in Opryland Hotel that, hey, I, I, I got to tell you that that Kevin passed away. Mm. Well, come to find out he died in a car accident in a really bad rainstorm at 1 a.m. Saturday morning, which was the exact same time that this thing went off. And, um, you know, so I, I don't think that that's any type of uh, a coincidence. No. And even if I did, I have a second one. So fast forward about two years later, I worked with a guy. Uh, his, we called him Big Dave. Now, he was a heavy set guy, really heavy set guy, 500 pounds. Greatest guy you'd ever meet in the world. Super soft spoken. He had two or three adopted kids that had disabilities. I mean, him and his wife were grade A when it came to being humanitarians. And uh, we were no longer working together because I had left the company. And uh, the night before uh, this happened, I, I'm I'm laying in the bed and our television comes on. By itself while we're sleeping and the, the television that's in the bedroom. And uh, I, I find a remote on a nightstand. I turn it off. First, I thought maybe we might have rolled over on the remote and there you go. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case. So I turned it off. Comes on again a few minutes later. Turn it off again. And then a third time it comes on. So I got up and unplugged the TV. Are you starting to see a theme, Richard? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I unplugged the TV. The next morning, I got a call from my old boss asking me if I'd heard about Dave. And apparently he had died of a heart attack the night before. And it was around the same time that the television came on. So uh, that's not a recurring theme in my life uh, where that's happened often. But, you know, there are usually things that have to do with uh, uh, stereos. And then I will bring it back to about two months ago when I was doing stand up comedy. There was a guy named Big John. And this guy, I mean, he was right up there with Dave, man. He's one of the nicest guys. Comedy is a cutthroat business. And mm. when you start in it, you don't have a lot of people willing to help you out. Right. So you got all the all the veterans on one side and you got all the newbies on the other side. And it's like, fend for yourself, figure it out. Well, Big John was one of the veterans and he took me under his wing and we did a bunch of shows together. And uh, he had moved away and he had some medical problems. And he actually passed away a couple of months ago. And uh, similar thing happened. Uh, a different surround sound, go figure. <laughs> but I had a surround sound that I had uh, taken out of my living room. I went with something a little bit smaller. And I put this in my garage. And I was going to give it to my son or my daughter. And neither one of them wanted. So it just sat unplugged. And eventually I was like, you know what? I'm going to put it up against the wall. I'm going to plug it in. I'll use it when I use my exercise equipment. The next day, this was a Tuesday, I, I walked into my uh, living room area. My garage is my exercise room, and it's attached 
and I could hear static. And I go in there and this surround sound was on. And it was on a radio station that I didn't have the antenna hooked up. So you were getting nothing but static. Turn it off. Later on, my wife comes in there. It's on again. She turns it off. And uh, so I unplug it. I left it unplugged. And then we find out two days later that John had passed away. It wasn't at the same time that he passed away. And it wasn't the same day. It was the day before. But he had been in almost like a coma type state for a while. Right. So, like I said, I, I, again, I've had three different deaths that I had something weird happen electronically at the same time. So, but that's kind of, you know, I've been to, we go to a lot of haunted houses and stuff, uh, you know, with what we do, we join in a lot of paranormal investigations. So I've definitely seen some stuff, but as far as me personally, uh, that's the only really that I could consider paranormal stuff to happen, but it's almost always the exact same situation. Once, maybe a coincidence, twice, uh, there's something going on, three times, come on, this is no no coincidence. Jerry Pauly is one half of a husband and wife a duo, hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories. So how did the, the podcast then start? Basically doing comedy, I love the aspect of being on stage. And anybody who tells you that they're an entertainer, for anything more than the attention you get is just flatlined to you. That's why that's why you pick up a guitar. That's why you start doing comedy. That's why you start acting. Um, I, I hated all the other stuff. I hated being on the road. I hated setting the shows up. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of comedy that most people don't realize. I mean, if you're a Dave Chappelle or somebody like that, that's, that's got it made, you just show up to your act, you go home, you know, and you write your act, of course. But you know, when you're one of the beginning comics, if you're a comic at your, at your up and coming comedy clubs, you know, you have to call around and get those gigs yourself. Nobody's getting them for you. Most people don't have managers. They can't afford it. And uh, I just got tired of that aspect of it. But then as soon as I would get out of comedy, I would miss being on stage. And so then I thought, you know what? I need to find another creative outlet. And I was listening to podcasts one day and, you know, I thought, you know what? I'm listening to these podcasts like lore with Aaron Mankey. And I'm like, man, he is such an excellent writer and everything he does is scripted. And I don't think I've got that ability. That's, that's not something I could do. But then I listened to one called real ghost stories online with Tony and Jenny Bruski, and they were a husband and wife and it was more conversational and it was just kind of fun. And I, I thought, you know what? I think I can do that. So I immediately ordered all of the wrong podcasting equipment, not knowing any different. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to a buddy of mine that I used to work with. We used to have talks about the paranormal all the time. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, that's who I want as a, as a, as a podcast host, because we have fun together. And I think people would enjoy our conversations. I got him to, to jump on board. Now, the kind of comedy that I did, Richard, was definitely uh, more adult comedy. It wasn't something you would find on a Disney channel. Blue. And work yeah, blue. blue without a doubt. <laughs> and that's the way I wanted the show to be. I thought, you know what? We'll have fun. We'll tell ghost stories, but we'll have fun with it. We'll laugh. Mm -hmm. We'll joke around. And uh, that's what we did. It didn't exactly take off like I wanted it to. And um, Ricky was great except he had a little bit of stage fright. He never was completely comfortable behind the mic. And that's common with a lot of people. Sure. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a workhorse. That's what I do. I, I work my tail off. And just to give you an example, we recorded our first episode 
And then I found out before our second episode that I had to have open heart surgery. Wow. So where some people would have said, you know, let's put it on hold. My thing was, you know what, Ricky, I'm going to write two stories. We'll record two this week and that'll give me a week off to recover. And then by the second week, surely I can record. Might not be able to go back to work, but I can record. And that's what we did. We've never missed an episode in six and a half years. We've had deaths in the family. My my wife's lost her, both of her parents. We've had uh, other emergencies and we've never missed an episode. That's commitment. So, that's, what it, and, that's what it is to, to, to have a podcast. A good friend of mine who uh, was sort of my mentor when I got into podcasting because I'm a radio guy for many, many years. And I was kind of a late adopter to, uh, to podcasting. Jim Harold. Uh, of the paranormal podcast and campfire said doing a podcast is like owning a dairy farm you can't you can ever you can't ever leave it you can't take time off if you take two weeks off your your audience moves on they find somebody else i agree and jim jim is a mentor of mine as well so we've got that in common there you go but go uh, let me let me finish this real quick so ricky though wouldn't quite as dedicated as i was and on the the, ep- the time we were going to do our ninth episode, he called me and said, hey, I got a stomach bug. I'm not going to be able to make it over. As you can tell from somebody who didn't let heart surgery stop him, that didn't go over real well with me. I love Ricky and he's got, you know, he's he's a great guy. We're still great friends to this day, but I wanted commitment. And my wife wanted to be a part of this from the very beginning, but she's not a huge paranormal fan. And I thought, I can't really see how that'll work. So that night, literally when Ricky called me, it was only a couple of hours before we were supposed to record. And I tell my wife, I said, you know what? You're going to have to sit in on the, on this episode tonight. And she's like, but I have no clue what you're going to talk about. So how can I sit in? And I said, you know what? It worked out good because I had written this entire episode myself. Usually Ricky and I would split it up, but I had written this entire one myself because it was on the music industry and the occult. And uh, so he was just going to be listening anyway and responding. So I said, you just listen and you respond. And it actually is the the secret to the show's success. It worked out great. She asked questions that the listeners were thinking. She had true responses. And um, Ricky heard it. And he's like, you know what? She needs to be the host. And I'm like, you know what? It's our gig. It's mine and yours. She'll be a great fill in. He did two more episodes. And then he said, you know, I got so much going on. It would work better with her. So she took over on episode 12. And uh, the rest of it, as they say, is history. And uh, I don't think we would be anywhere near where we're at today had it not been for her and her contributions, because I think that is the secret to our success. Right. She becomes your audience, your foil, your sounding board, and uh, your, your co-pilot. All right. We'll uh, take a quick time out, Jerry. Come back and discuss uh, more on Hillbilly Horror Stories, the podcast. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Welcome back. And we are here with Jerry Pauly, professional comedian and now one half of the husband and wife duo, hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories. How do we listen? How do we uh, subscribe? Pretty much anywhere they can find Strange Planet, they're going to find us. We're on every major platform from Spotify to obviously Apple, uh, iTunes. Well, I guess Apple is iTunes. So, But anywhere they listen to podcasts, we're on all the platforms. Uh, you've got a Facebook group as well, but it's turned into, well, it's kind of evolved into something else. Tell me about that. It is. You know, it's funny because we did not want a group. I had a Facebook page. It had a bunch of, of uh, subscribers, and I felt like that would get the word out for anything we want to do. And uh, we had a couple of people say, hey, you should get a group. And I'm like, I really didn't understand, I guess, the difference between the interaction of a group and the uh, page. I figured if they could do the same thing, either one, what's, what's the deal? And we had a, a listener by the name of Natasha in Australia say, hey, will you do a group? And I said, you know what? I don't really want to, but if you want to start one, I'll let you start it. You run it. I don't want to be involved with it. I'll chime in from time to time. But if you'll take care of it, I'll do it. And that was five years ago. And the incredible thing was, actually, it was five years ago yesterday. Uh, but the incredible thing was about three years ago. We turned it into 100% a mental health support group. So it's it's a completely closed group. So you got to you got to be able to be accepted. So we don't it's not a public group. It's private. And you have to agree to be willing to help others in order to even get in the group. And it's been a godsend. Now we're obviously, you know, we're in my wife and I are involved in the group a hundred percent all the time. It's become the thing that we're most proud of of the podcast. I mean, Richard, you can have as many downloads or make as much money off a podcast, but there is nothing like having somebody tell you that you saved their life. And we we get, and I'm not exaggerating, we get three to five people every week tell us that we made a huge difference in their life. We caused them to seek help. We caused them to get on medication. We caused them not to commit suicide. We've had two or three people tell us, one one woman said that she had a rope out and was going to do it, and she heard us. We had another woman that said she was going to drive her car off of a bridge, and she heard uh, at the beginning of one of our episodes. Because see, every one of our episodes, Richard, we start off giving out the suicide number. We, and we don't just give out the number, and there you go. We basically talk for a few minutes about if you're struggling, if it's a holiday season and, and a lot of people are struggling and and if you need help, we've given out our personal phone number several times. My wife and I talk to probably 15 people every week who are struggling because they need somebody to talk to and they don't have anybody else. So that's something that's big to us. So when we decided uh, three years ago, let's just turn the group into 100% into that because it was starting to kind of become that way anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And so now we got 6,000 people. We've got nine moderators from all over the world. So no matter what time of day you come on, if it's three o'clock in the morning and you've got an issue, somebody is up to talk to you. And I don't care what the situation is. If you was to time on, come onto the group and say, you know what, I'm really struggling right now. I'm feeling really down. Uh, I'm kind of contemplating ending it all. You will have 30 people respond to you within 15 minutes and, and given their phone numbers. And we've had people, we had a young lady named Anna that basically said in the group, she left a message. I am going to do it. I'm going to bed. Richard, we had people acting like detectives. They had people looking up her friends on Facebook and trying to find somebody close to go check on her. They called, they found out where she lived based on her Facebook. They called the police to go out and do a wellness check. That's what our group does. And it's not the only time it's ever happened. It's happened several times. And uh, it, it's just amazing. I'm so proud of that group. I, it, it's, I, I think if we quit doing the podcast tomorrow, I think that group would continue to exist. Wow, you're doing the Lord's work. God bless you for that. You've known some struggle in your life as well. You talked about your mother's battles with depression. You wrote a book called Hillbilly Horror Stories from Hell to High Water. Tell me about that. Well, basically, that ties in a lot to uh, why we talk about this on the podcast. The first 20 episodes or so, we didn't bring that up. But then we actually did a story on the Japanese suicide uh, forest. Uh, Aoka Kahara, I think is what it is. I probably mispronounced it. And I felt compelled to bring up my own battles with depression. And I actually had a failed suicide attempt back in March of 2001. And I told that story. And I think it really resonated with a lot of people because we got a lot of a lot of listeners saying that was brave. Uh, I'm glad you shared that story. And from that point on, it's been a staple of our Sunday night episode to always talk about that. And I, I think I think people like knowing that somebody that they look up to have had has had the same struggles. And I'll be honest with you, Richard, I did not feel like I was a great person uh, for most of my life. I didn't think I, I was a good father. I didn't I definitely was not a good husband. And you know, my wife now benefited from a lot of that because I did a lot of self-growth. And, you know, we got asked anytime you're doing, you know, like Jim Harold does or like we do, people are always asking, hey, won't you write a book? But I was like, what am I going to write a book about? I rehash a bunch of stories that we've done that that real authors have actually written and done a hell of a lot better job than, than I can do. And then one day it hit me a couple of years ago. I thought, you know what? What I can do is I can write a a book talking about my own struggles and how that ties into the podcast. So what I did was I wrote the book and it it talks about my time at a haunted house growing up. That's the first part. It's literally, it's almost like three short books into one, but it's the time in a haunted house. And then I talk about all the bad crap that I did in my life and, and how it led up to me getting a divorce and dealing with depression and attempting suicide. And then how we started the podcast, and we've used that information, the, the the paranormal stuff from the early years, from learning how to deal with depression, to going on a podcast and helping others. And uh, so that's what the book is. And I've I got 25 or 26 emails at the end of it that listeners send us telling us, like I was saying earlier, how it's made a difference in their life. Of course, I've got all their permission to be able to use it, but 
Hell, I could have put a hundred in there. And, uh, but that's what the book is. It's basically, I wanted people to see who listen to the show that you only know this version of me. You, you think of me and, and look, we're very giving people, Richard. We do a lot of stuff for charity. We help out listeners. We do toy drives for listeners. And that's great that people see me like that, but they need to know that wasn't always me and that I changed and they can change too. So I wanted them to have that hope. And that's why I put the book out. Hillbilly Horror Stories from Hell to High Water. Where, where do we get a copy? It's on Amazon, or if you want an autographed version, you can get it straight from our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Um, you know, and and if and if you can't afford the book, Richard, it's on our podcast. I read the book instead of just doing a uh uh an audio version, an audio book. I actually read it on the podcast over the course of several weeks. So you can actually just look that up and find it because I wanted people, everybody to have access to it. It wasn't about the money for it. I wanted people to know that I want everybody to hear it. And uh, so I put it out there for free just so people could get it. How did things turn around for you, Jerry? Counseling, uh, which I was not a believer in. You know, I, I, if when my wife and I first started having problems, we went through some marriage counseling, which she did not want to be a part of. <laughs> she had her mind made up. And uh, I continued with counseling after she left and it helped me to learn how to deal with things. I wasn't big on medicine. I tried medicine. Uh, to me, there was some side effects and it didn't work for me. So I was determined that I was going to teach myself how to battle depression. And um, it's a it's it took a lot of patience. That was the first thing I had to teach myself was patience. I had a lot of anger problems, a lot of issues with flying off the handle. And I had to teach myself that you got to deal with stuff in a different way, brother. You can't uh, you can't do that, or you're never going to be in a successful relationship. You're never going to be a great father. And uh, so I taught myself just over the years to be more patient, more patient, more patient. And I I just basically taught myself to stop and think before I talked, and that's way easier said than done. But it, it worked for me, and uh, you know I taught myself like if I got and and to this day, Richard, I still get thoughts of harming myself and stuff like that for no reason hmm. it's i could be in the i could be in the greatest situation of the of my life and and for some reason i thought like that a pop in your mind and now i can just chase it out i can immediately change to something else and that's what i couldn't do before in the past something like that would hit me and i would just dwell on it and dwell on it and dwell on it. next thing you know i'm in a funk for two or three days but now what i do and i think listeners can benefit from this I have four or five things that are fantastic in my life from my wife to my kids and not just in, in general, like my kids, like I'll remember, I got to see my son got married. I'm an, I'm ordained and he got married a couple of years ago on father's day. And I got to perform the ceremony. Wonderful. That means a lot to me. Uh, and I, so that that's in my, my storage bank up here. Mm -hmm. So if I ever get a negative thought now in my head, I immediately switched to one of those thoughts. And that's how I chased away the bad thoughts. It didn't happen easily. I had to train myself to do that. And it took several years before it became instant. But now it's instant. And, you know, before I, I was just like, ah, I feel bad about this. Well, let me think about this good thing. But my mind would still shift back to the bad thing. Where if you work on it and you practice enough, 
You can you can make things happen a lot quicker, but you need to have those four or five things always on your mind so you don't have to try to think about it. You can just shift gears instantly. There may be someone listening to this podcast who is dealing with some mental health issues and struggling. If you'd like, why don't you give out the, the information, how they can contact you and your team and your group? Absolutely. Obviously, the we started a new, not us, but the United States started a new crisis line. Uh, it's a whole lot easier. So it's 988. Uh, that's where you can call now. And you don't have to be suicidal. If you're just dealing with something, you're overwhelmed, call 988. There are professionals there that can help you with the crisis line. If you're more of a texter, you can text 741-741. Or you can go to the Hillbilly Horror Stories group on Facebook, ask to be a member. It's going to ask you the dog's name. That dog's name is Ninja. And that's how people know. And it's going to ask you if you're okay with seeing people uh, post their struggles and are you uh, willing to not be critical? We do have a zero tolerance policy in there. We want people to feel safe. There is no drama in our group. And that's why we have nine moderators. If anybody is the least little bit uh, critical of somebody posting, they're gone. We can't, we can't have it. That's got to be a safe place. So Hillbilly Horror Stories group on Facebook, join uh, you can say, it's going to ask why you want to join. You can just say that you heard us on Richard's show on Strange Planet, and uh, we'll know to let you in. I'll let the moderators know. But, hey, we just want to help people. So we don't care if you listen to our show. We don't care if you ever listen to our show. Don't hesitate to come join the group for, for your own personal reasons. Another time out, Jerry. We come back, and then I want to ask you about a visit from your mom. Back with more. Stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Welcome back. Just hanging out with Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories. He and his wife, Tracy Pauly. Uh, is this a weekly? Is it a daily? Uh, how often do you publish? It's we, we put out the main episode every Sunday, but we put out episodes Tuesday through Sunday. So there, a lot of them during the week are short, and they're, and they're all, they raise the gamut, so they're not all the same style. So it's something for everybody. All right. So um, you had a visit from your mother who had passed away six months earlier. Tell me about that. Well, it's sort of a lengthy story, but I'll I'll make it as uh, short and entertaining as possible. Uh, my mother and I, for the last 10, 12 years of her life, did not have the best relationship. Uh, in fact, when I would come over to the house, she would sometimes be in a back bedroom. My dad would be in a living room, and I would spend all the time in there with my dad. And then I would go to the back bedroom just to basically say bye. And that was kind of it. She'd call. I wouldn't answer the phone if I saw it was her. It's just, uh, it was just not a good close relationship. And it, but years earlier, we used to be really close and, uh, we actually had a connection that I talk about all through the book about, she always knew when something was wrong with me. I mean, she, she was a unique woman, but I mean, if something happened, she knew about it without me telling her without any, and it's just, it was strange, but that's the kind of connection we used to have. Well, I was doing comedy. I'd only been doing it for six months or so. 
And she got to see me perform one time at the Comedy Caravan in Louisville, and then she passed away shortly afterwards. She was only 54 when she passed away, and it was really unexpected. Uh, my mom used to be kind of a little bit of a hypochondriac, and she was always in the hospital. And for that reason, most of the time, I didn't go to the hospital. Uh, I always knew she's going to be out in a couple of days. It's no big deal. Well, I had a, a huge comedy event coming. It was a sold out show at a place and it was music and comedy. And we were on our way down to the show. And I get a call saying that my mom had been rushed to the hospital. Well, I just told you what usually happens. I just don't go. It's not that big a deal. Something hit me with this one, though, that it was different. It was a gut feeling. It wasn't anything that my parents said or I mean, my, my father had said it was just a gut feeling. And I, I wanted to cancel the show or, you know, cancel my part of the show. And my dad talked me into going. He's like, no, we're all going down to the hospital. Just go. By the end of the night, after calling and checking in several times, uh, they said, you know what? They said everything looks good. It wasn't as bad as they thought it was. So uh, they're sending us home. So don't worry about it. You can just come up tomorrow. Perfect. Felt good. Went home, went to bed. I got a call at seven o'clock in the morning telling me I needed to get to the hospital ASAP. Uh, she had taken a, a major turn. And by 10 o'clock, my mom was gone. And I was holding her hand when she took her last breaths. I don't even need to even probably to explain to anybody out there listening the guilt that I felt for every phone call I didn't pick up, every time I didn't spend time with her when I could, because I just never thought that would happen you know, to somebody 54 years old and relatively good health. Well, we're going to fast forward six months. I'm doing a show at this little hole in the wall bar. This place was literally two rooms, a room with a bar that they didn't even have the tables in because there was no room in that room for the bar and tables and a little step down room where they did uh, karaoke and stuff. And we were going to do a comedy show in there. It seats about 30 people. And uh, I got there about two hours early and, uh, I'm trying to go over my act and everything. And and uh, this man and woman walk in. They're bikers. They're stereotypical bikers. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean they've got all their leather on. And the, you know, the kind of, bur the guy was kind of burly looking. And he had the, the beard and the mustache and the caps and tattoos and stuff. And the woman was the same way, dressed in women's biker gear. I have no clue who they are. They don't know me. Uh, they're on their way to several other bars. This was just their first stop. And uh, I asked them, I said, like, are you guys here for the comedy show? And they're like, we had no idea there was a comedy show. And I'm like, yeah, well, and most people did. They didn't have a sign out front to advertise. So it's like, no, it's, yeah, it's going on uh, tonight. And it's going to be about an hour and a half from now. And they're like, yeah, we won't be able to stay. We've got other places to be. Okay, cool. And we had some conversation. Anytime somebody finds out you're a comedian, they want to start uh, telling you jokes and stuff. And a little bit of that went on. Well, I go in, I excuse myself, I go down to the uh, the other room. I'm the only one in there, and I'm just going over my act so I can get it memorized. And a few minutes later, they come in and they sit down. Now, they're across the room from me at another table, but I felt awkward because I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I'm being rude if I don't go over there and talk to them. So I go over and I sit down, and uh, we're talking just chit-chat, nothing major. Well, the, the gentleman, just out of the blue, says, you know, your mom wants you to know that everything is going to be okay. Well, they don't know anything about my mom passing away because they don't know me. And I, we didn't talk about that. So I'm assuming that's some kind of joke that I missed. It went over my head. So I gave that kind of little awkward laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the young lady reached over. She puts her hand on top of my hand. 
and said, no, seriously, your mom wants you to know that everything is going to be fine. And, and Richard, I lost it. I mean, I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that there was something going on there that was beyond, you know, what I was in. I'm not the most religious guy in the world. I'm spiritual. So, you know, and I believe in the paranormal and then the afterlife, but this was something on a level that I had never experienced. And this was before any of the stuff we talked about earlier with the, you know, the electronics and all this. Right. And so I just start talking to him. I'm opening up. I'm like, you know what? Just, I, I, I've got all this guilt because, you know, I, all these times I didn't answer the phone and we didn't have the best relationship. And, and uh, the young lady's like, I know, I know she did. That's what she wants you to know. You just let it go. Everything's fine. Don't worry about that stuff. It's all, it's all forgiven. And, uh, you know, we just start talking a little more and then they say, you know, she thinks you should be doing, you know, better things than like this performing, you know, at a place like this. And I'm like, you know, I'd like to perform at better places, but you got to start out somewhere. And I said, you know, that's my goal too. And we talked for a few minutes more. And to be honest with you, I can't even tell you what we talked about. I was so blown away and they got up and they left and I've never seen them before. I've never seen them since have no clue who they were, but they were, I don't know if they were sent there to give me that message. I don't know if that happened after they were there. I don't know if they even know what happened, but something happened and I was completely blown away. I had a horrible set that night because I couldn't concentrate. Oh, That's all I could think be. about. Oh. That's all I could think about. And I'll, I'll tell you one other add on to that. Yes. It didn't click to me until years later, honestly, but that little bar my mom and dad and myself went there and we never went out together to do anything. Never a handful of times in my whole adult life. We went there at that bar in the middle of the day one time and played pool. And it didn't dawn on me that that we had been there before all together. So I don't know if that was the connection. I don't know if, if because we had been, and it was a couple of years before that, but we had been there before so I don't know if that's why that was the place where that that happened or not, but it's uh, it was interesting to say the least. That's a remarkable story, truly remarkable. Um, one of your, I don't know if this is one of your favorite guests, but um, I know that you um, interviewed Andrea Perrin, who of course is uh, involved in one of the most famous hauntings, The Conjuring. It was a investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this took place um, at the parent home uh, in Rhode Island, I believe. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that conversation with Andrea Perrin. Andrea, first of all, is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we, we had been doing the show for a year. We were coming up on our one year anniversary and nobody knew who the heck we were. So we, we weren't able to get big guests by any means. I mean, and I reached out. I thought, you know what? I want to, for one year anniversary, I want to knock it out of the park. And I reached out literally two months before that to Andrea, and I didn't hear anything back, which I'm used to that. I've reached out to bigger guests before and didn't get anything back. So, you know, and I, eventually she wrote me back. And this was just on Facebook. I mean, it was not even like a, an email. It was just through Facebook Messenger. And she wrote me back and she agreed to be on the show. And I, I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. It was my biggest thrill 
to date of, of being able to interview somebody like Andrea Perrin. I mean, it was like, wow. And when she came on, she told us about how she wrote the, 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 the books that the conjuring was based off of. She told us how, uh, what really happened in real life compared to the movie, you know, uh, uh her dad actually punched Mr. Warren because they were doing a seance in the, uh, in the, I think the basement. And he basically said, Hey, let's stop it right now. And he didn't. And her dad just punched him in the mouth Wow! and, and knocked him down. And, you know, of course that didn't make it to the movie, but she was telling me stuff like that. She was telling me that the movie was actually uh, a lot worse scary wise than, than what it turned out to be, but they were trying to give it an X rating. So they had to keep cutting stuff. James Wan had to keep cutting stuff to get it down to, uh, to where it eventually was. And uh, she said that, and I don't know where she stands with this because that was literally almost five years ago now, but she said they were in the works of actually redoing it based strictly off of her books, which were too scary to put in the movie. So uh, I'm hoping that eventually does come out because that would be very cool. But yeah, to, just to just to hear her tell the stories in her own words was absolutely amazing. All right. Well, again, Hillbilly Horror Stories, Sunday nights, but um, you're publishing content Tuesdays through Sundays. Wherever you find your podcasts, give us a website as well. Sure. hillbillyhorrorstories.com we do a bunch of live events all over the country we even did our first cruise this past september and had uh, 200 people sign up and we're doing it again in 2024 so it'll be a blast wow love to get on on board with that jerry <laughs> good for you well great meeting you and i hope we can do this again i really enjoyed uh, meeting you and speaking with you absolutely we'll have to get you on our show look forward to it look forward to it one more time, please give us the uh, the uh, the numbers, the text uh, numbers, and so forth for those people out there that are struggling a little bit. Nine eight eight is the crisis line anywhere in the United States, and then seven four one seven four one if you want to text. All right. Thanks again, Jerry. God bless. Amen. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.